years and got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus Ako, and I'm very excited to announce that the Paris International Film Festival 2022 has begun! Yay! Yep, it's producer Dave here, and I'm very, very pleased as well. I cannot wait to dive into some of those films. Yeah, so the, the film festival, the Paris International Film Festival, started on the 10th of February, which was Thursday, uh, and it's going to be running until the 20th of February. Go onto the website, go and check out all of the wonderful filmmakers we've been interviewing, tons of them. And in fact, it's such a jam-packed episode. We've got a few more in this episode, so I'm going to stop rabbiting on about random stuff, and I'm just going to jump straight into film and TV news. Oh, just before we jump into film and TV news, at Resonance, Resonance 104.4, we're having a fundraiser. We urgently need funds to bring our amazing broadcast to you, our listeners. If you like what you hear on our show, please do support us. Make a donation of any amount at fundraiser.resonance.fm. Alternatively, if you don't want to just donate money and you like to buy things on Amazon, why not use the link smile.amazon.co.uk instead and select London Musicians Collective as your preferred charity. And what will happen is they'll receive 0.5% of the value of your purchases at no extra cost to you. So do that and you do that. If you don't want to donate directly, just use that one. If you're gonna buy something on Amazon, go to smile.amazon.co.uk and select London Musicians Collective as your preferred charity. Okay, okay, let's carry on with the show.
You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And with us today, we have one of the filmmakers whose uh, documentary is part of the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the 10th of February to the 20th of February. Please tell us your name and the name of your documentary. Hi, uh, my name is Peter Stein, and the documentary, uh, the film is Out of Exile, The Photography of Fred Stein. Excellent. Uh, Thank you very much, Peter, for joining us today. Um, Tell us, what is this documentary about? Well, the film is about um, my father, Fred Stein, who was a great photographer, and uh, he's just starting to become recognized now. Uh, His work is in... uh, many museums and galleries around the world. Um, he, was, he was trained as a lawyer in, uh, in uh, Dresden, Germany in the 1930s. And um, he was uh, Jewish and he was a socialist and he was uh, very active against uh, the Nazis in the uh, early 30s. Um, And uh, he had just graduated from law school in Leipzig, Germany, um, and graduating first in his class at university. And um, Hitler was just elected president in 1933. And that was the year that my father, Fred, uh, um, graduated from school. And in order to serve as a lawyer, uh, you needed, uh, I don't know if you still need that at this time, but you needed to uh, uh, serve an apprenticeship in the uh, state prosecutor's office. And the first law that Hitler passed when he became uh, chancellor uh, was that Jews couldn't work for the government anymore. So Fred couldn't, couldn't, Uh, be certified as a lawyer, and he couldn't practice law, but he was still very, very uh, active in uh, in politics, and um, uh, he got a job with a, uh, through a friend of his, in his, in his friend's father's factory as a law consultant, so he couldn't actually go to court, but he could prepare briefs and so on, Um, so he uh, he was handing out leaflets and so on against the Nazis. And um, one day his friend told him that the Gestapo had come and were asking questions uh, in the factory uh, from his father. And, and the week previous, um, a young woman, they had asked questions about her and she disappeared. So he warned my father that he better leave right away. So he and my mother had just gotten married and they went, ostensibly, well, they went to uh, Paris, ostensibly taking a honeymoon, but they left for good. They didn't really want to leave because of course their family was, was in, uh, in Dresden. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, they, they went to Paris and he couldn't practice law there because the, uh, French laws were that uh, you had to live in 
France for 10 years before you could practice law. And he would have had to go to law school all over again because the laws from one country to another are very different. And, and then you had to pass a, a test. So he needed a new profession. And uh, they decided finally that uh, he would try to become a photographer because that was an international profession. And um, they didn't go to the United States because they wanted to be close to Germany so they could, you know, Hitler was only gonna be in power, everybody thought, for a few months, six months, maybe a year, so on. Uh, so they would be close enough to go back into Germany and help reestablish democracy. But, um, and they had given each other as a gift, a uh, Leica camera. It was the first model Leica camera. And uh, that was Fred's uh, hobby was photography. But he had studied uh, a lot about art. He had uh, uh, Dresden where he was born. There were many, uh, uh, museums. It's one of the art capitals of Germany and uh, something like, I don't know, 26 museums or more than that. And uh, he used to go, he had a, uh, he had a subscription pass to all the museums. So he, he, he really studied art um, as an amateur, but law was his, was his great love. But uh, so he, be he became a photographer in France and was one of the pioneer photographers of handheld street photography. Before the, the Leica camera, there were big box cameras or wooden cameras on tripods and you couldn't, uh, you couldn't really uh, do street photography the way that uh, some, some of the uh, uh, pioneer street photographers in Paris did in the 30s. And uh, he, he photographed, the, you know, he was an outsider in France, but he loved it. You know, they were, they were sort of Bohemians. Uh, Paris at the time was a great center of uh, refugees from all over Europe, all the, uh, the fascist countries, uh, people were leaving and, and France was a, and Paris especially was a, was a place of freedom and uh, there were lots of uh, refugees there. And it was a great melting pot from many different countries of, of uh, refugees who were uh, pro-democracy, let's say, uh, refugees, many uh, left-wing uh, socialists, communists, just all sorts of people. And uh, <clears throat> so he started taking street photography, but he was also taking portraits. And uh, he was in a political group of uh, young socialists. Uh, he was 23 at the time. And, uh, and he became quite a, quite a good photographer. And, and uh, eventually um, he had to uh, leave France. He was uh, put into a... Uh, the, the Nazis, the Germans were, were invading all over Europe and they, they very quickly took, uh, took France. Uh, and um, France was divided into two parts. One part was, uh, was occupied by the Germans. The other part was the so-called free France or Vichy France. France. And uh, that was, uh, they had a, a puppet dictator there and um so but that was that was freer than the occupied zone 
and Fred had been put into an internment camp for uh, for foreigners, uh, and uh, because he had a German, he was German even though he was Jewish. So they put anybody who was German and and from countries that were invaded by the Germans, they put them into these detention camps. And uh, just before the Nazis came to free these detention camps, of course, there were Nazis in the camps too. The Nazis would have been rescued and the Jews would have been sent back to Germany, to Auschwitz or wherever, to in Poland. And um, so he made his way down to uh, Marseille, which was in the uh, free France. And uh, to make a long story short, <laughs> I don't know how much time we have for this. Um, he uh, he was able with my mother. They my mother was in Paris. They didn't put her into the camp because I have a sister who was born in Paris, and they wouldn't put the mother of a French citizen into a detention camp. They put the father in, but not the mother. So she was in Paris, and he had escaped, and he walked five hundred kilometers to Toulouse. And then uh, he sent a, a, a lot of postcards to my mother and one finally got through. And uh, the postcard said, uh, some friends of yours in Toulouse would like you to visit them. And of course she knew it was from him because she knew his handwriting. She didn't know he, that he was even alive. And uh, she, went, she, went, she went through, she bluffed her way through the German lines. She got a, a uh, transit visa from them, which is a really interesting story, how she did that. And then they hooked up in Toulouse and then uh, he went to Marseille, which was a seaport and, and uh, through the efforts of a really wonderful American, Varian Fry, uh, they got on a ship finally after about a year, um, last ship leaving uh, Marseille and made it to the United States where he continued his uh, life as a photographer. That, and that's an amazing, it's an amazing journey that just goes, that goes right through. Uh, it, it's essentially, uh, I, there were various points I wanted to sort of ask what would have influenced his style, but it, I want to listen more to what your father's life, your, your parents' life, because that, it, it's incredible. Going from, running from a dictator in Germany um, going to to Paris and thinking that that's where they're going to be safe, but then falling into more trouble and then running off to America in order to be trying to escape, obviously encountering more issues in America as well. And am I am I right in assuming this is all before you were born? This is all before I was born. I was born in the United States. Uh, and and my, my father died very young. He died, uh, he was uh, 58 years old in uh, 1967. And uh, photography wasn't really recognized as it is now as an art form. And uh, there weren't um, any or many galleries or museums that showed photography. Uh, it was It was more or less regarded as a, and, you know, well, a hobby for people and, and some people were professionals, but it wasn't considered high art and it wasn't in auctions and this photography wasn't sold for very much. Um, that was 1967 when he died. 
And um, now he always considered himself an artist. And um, so his contemporaries who were sort of on the same level as he was, eventually got galleries and then the galleries got the museum shows and eventually uh, they became famous uh, photographers and their works sell for a lot of money. And uh, you know, especially uh, a few who were his contemporaries and it's, many of them were his friends, uh, especially from Paris. They were uh, sort of in a, in a, in a group. Um, and so I'm a cinematographer and uh, I've shot many movies in, uh, in Hollywood and all over the world. Um, and also was a professor of cinematography at uh, New York University in the Graduate Film School. Uh, a really wonderful school, very well-known, very famous school. Um, and I have always thought at some point since I'm in the film business that I would like to make a film about my father and his story and his photographs, which are really beautiful. And uh, it, by the way, in the early 50s, he had a hip problem and uh, decided that he was going to pursue a different area in photography that he had done quite a bit before, which was taking portraits. Um, and eventually he, he, before he passed away, he had taken over 1200 portraits of some of the most famous people in the world, especially in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Uh, intellectuals. Uh, my father was an intellectual and, and uh, he read and so on, but his most famous photograph is uh, really an iconic picture of uh, Albert Einstein from 1946. And, uh, you know, he took uh, pictures of Dolly and Hannah Arendt, who's a great philosopher. And um, many of his pictures are iconic and people know the picture. And when they say, see the pictures, they say, oh, I know that picture, right? you know, um, but they don't know who did it. And so the, my goal and this, with this film especially is to uh, bring his work and his name before the public uh, and, and give him his due as a, uh, as a great artist, but also just for history. Um, to a lot of the people of these 1200 people are well known in their fields, let's say in literature, art, science, uh, architecture, philosophy, uh, theology, um, and people doing research can see what they look like. A lot of people don't know what these people look like. And, and uh, so from a historical point of view in photography, but also just in history in general, his work is really important. Uh, so, and that's why that's why you documented it in this documentary, uh, Out of Exile, uh, the photography of uh, Fred Stein, uh, where you listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave. Uh, and this, uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Peter Stein, uh, that you are a cinematog cinematographer, which is one of the questions I wanted to ask. Um, how were you, how has your work been influenced by the photography of your father? When, when I was a child, we used to go out taking pictures together. So as a cinematographer, certainly you need to understand composition and what makes a, 
uh, a shot interesting and, and uh, uh, a composition interesting and, and uh, what lighting does and can do for, for an image. And I started, and I used to go in the dark room when I was a little kid, watch my father working in the dark room and, and he taught me how to process film and how to print pictures and so on. So I, I really owe my career as a cinematographer to my father. And in a way, this is, you know, a thank you, uh, a thank you film <laughs> to, uh, to him for, for giving me this, uh, this life. And, and the film is, it's woven between my story of, uh, well, first of all, my father's story and his incredible work is shown in the film. Uh, that, so that's, a, that's what the film really is. But then uh, beneath that is my story and how I brought his work uh, to the recognition it's getting now. We've, uh, we've had uh, quite a few um, uh, museums and uh, exhibitions in museums, especially in Europe. Um, and, and it's, it, it's not easily done. Now, you know, I thought at one point, well, all I have to do is find one curator who will take me under his wing and he'll get me museum shows and galleries and people will come calling me because the work is so uh, extraordinary. Um, but that's not how it works at all. And that's not how, uh, that's not how I did it. I mean, people, <sighs> And naturally would think, well, if this guy is so great, how come I never heard of him? And, um, but, but I've had some very good success and, and this movie is certainly going to be very helpful in promoting his work. Absolutely, and I, I've, seen, I've seen a trailer that has some, I haven't had the opportunity to see uh, a lot of the work outside of the trailer, but some of the photographs are very vivid. I, I loved some of them. There was one in particular that really caught my attention, which was, uh, of a, a small, a little black girl in a little boxcar. And it just, it just, it, it was so, the lighting and the, uh, the grading of the picture itself was just so visceral. It just, it, it, it stuck in my head. And I, I, I saw the trailer once and that's it, that image is stuck there. I, I saw the Albert Einstein um, photograph as well. And you're right, absolutely, it's, it's memorable. You see it and think, I've seen that picture before but you never really associate it with the actual photographer. I would love to bring you back on to our show and talk more and more about not just the, your father's work, but also your work, because uh, you, you've, your, your uh, work actually ranges across different genres. You've got Friday the 13th in there, right there to Mr. Nanny, Hulk Hogan's Mr. Nanny in your IMDb credits. Uh, and I'd love to talk to you a lot more about those projects. Um, we, while we, we just want to wrap up at the moment, just for this particular section, just to talk about uh, the photography of uh, Fred Stein, Out of Exile, the photography of Fred Stein. Uh, at the moment, it's currently in the Paris International Film Festival. Have you secured distribution yet for people to see outside of the festival, or is it still doing its festival run? It's still doing its festival run. But we're, you know, of course, uh, very interested in, uh, in distribution, especially... Uh, television and um, and I'm also interested in museum exhibitions. We haven't had uh, any any museum shows in uh, in the United Kingdom uh, 
very few actually in the United States. So that's my uh, big push right now is the uh, United States and, and Europe and then Japan is very interesting. It's wherever photography is uh, of interest culturally. It's, Absolutely. Uh, and we, we, wish, we wish your project all the best success in both the Paris International Film Festival as well as other film festivals. And we will definitely organize with you to get you back on the show. We'll do a, a whole hour long special on you and this documentary, try and get that out there as much as possible. If people want to see uh, your father's photographs, um, obviously, as you said, you're still trying to get it curated. If they want to try and see it now, what's the best option that they have to be able to see those photographs? Well, the best uh, is uh, we have a website, um, uh, www.fredstein.com. So that's very simple. Or if they want to learn more about the movie or see the trailer, um, there's a, a website for the movie, which is fredsteinmovie.com. Fantastic. We're going to put that in the show notes for this podcast episode. Uh, Peter Stein, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze to talk about the work of both yourself and your father. And we wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and we have a director who his film is in the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the 10th of February to the 20th of February. Please tell us your name and the name of the film that you have in the festival. Okay, my name is uh, Karim Goury, and I'm French, and uh, the title of my film is French. Excellent, Karim. Thank you very much for joining us today. So, thank what, you. What is Branch all about? Well, Branch is um, a walk in the woods uh, in the family, and um, it starts as uh, um, a nice walk in, into the woods, and, and you know, like we all do in family with the kids and the wife and the husband, and it's a beautiful day. But uh, things are turning uh, um, uh, differently as they expected uh, at the first place. And it's, it's a short film. Um, <clears throat> where did you shoot this film? We shoot this film uh, in the east of France, in a nice uh, forest near Nancy uh, in the summer nine, uh, 2019. So before obviously COVID and everything. So, I mean, to be honest, even if you did shoot this in, during COVID, it, it, am I right in assuming that most of the film is set up, set in the woods? Yes, it is. Absolutely, completely in the woods, yes. Yes, so even with COVID, you still would have been able to go out and, uh, and carry out this particular production. Yes, probably, yes. It would be uh, difficult because the team would, be, uh, would, be, uh, would have to, to wear masks. But uh, it was not the case at, at this time, and uh, it was just six months before the, the, the pandemic. Yes. Um, now, what in, in inspired you to do this short film? Well, actually, uh, it really uh, occurred, uh, happened to me. What is in the film is uh, exactly what I lived in, with my family 
um, months ago, many months uh, before shooting. And it was an, an, a strange experience. And I decided to make a film about that. Um, in my films, I always um, start from a, a, a reality. And then I transform them or in documentary or in fiction, but to tell a story and to focus on a point that seems to me important. That's that's very true. Very true uh, when it comes to uh, to your direction. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Diaco, and I'm here with Karim Guri, who is the director of the film, the short film Branch, which is uh, playing at the Paris International Film Festival from the 10th to the 20th of February. Uh, Karim, your history in, in on IMDb, your credits uh, are mostly, in fact, the, the main credits that are there are documentaries and Branch is the first work of fiction that you've done. Uh, and you mentioned just earlier that you, you did this particular project because it was something that happened to you, and so you were essentially just replicating it. Is this a new um, step that you're taking into fiction? Are we going to see more fiction work for you? Or did you sort of do this short film just as a different style, as a documentary style, but a different style of, of documentary? Well, in fact, it's the second fiction film I made because I, I, I made one um, uh, 15 years ago, a short film or so, which was inspired from my uh, um, real life and from my documentary, which are very autobiographical. So uh, this is my second uh, short uh, fiction short. I am currently working on uh, writing a, a new film which will be a fiction film, but still it's very inspired from reality. And, and I don't know, I, I think it, the, 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 the limits between reality, documentary and fiction for me is a little bit uh, um, changing and, uh, and not very clear. And I, I like to start from a real point, a, re a reality, something that exists and then Consider that, uh, see the, what, what can I do with that uh, material? And so it can, be, uh, it can become a documentary. And for this uh, matter, it will be, a, it will be a, a fiction film. So with, I mean, with fiction, you can tell how, how it's gonna start, what story beats you're gonna hit as you go through and how it's going to end even before you start shooting. Documentary, however, is more, you know, more based on reality and you're essentially working without, most of the time you're working without a script. So how do you approach your documentary filmmaking if you're tackling, do you tend to tackle subjects that you already know the beginning, middle and end and as such can construct a story? Or do you go into a documentary without knowing what the end is going to be and then see how you go through it? Um, what is the first thing you said? Uh, my first documentary, which was which is called Made in Egypt, uh, it's like a reconstruction of what happened to me in real life. So I knew where I, I began, and and I I knew where I was uh, uh, going to. So it's a, it's a it's a construction as it can be in fiction films. Although, uh, although it's, a, it's a documentary. For the second one, which is called uh, The Man Inside, and I, I directed it in, in Kuwait, it was more uh, like an experimental film, like um, 
I would say like uh, filmmakers like Chantal Ackerman uh, or, or uh, Alain Cavalier, which is, I have a, ma a, a material which was um, um, letters, uh, tape, audio, audio, audio material. And I wanted to record in a hotel room and spend days in, 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 that, in that hotel room without moving and, and film and shoot and see what happened then. then. So I, I didn't know what um, I, was going, uh, I was going to, but still I have a, a precise idea of how I wanted the film to look like. You understand? I'm sorry yeah. if, uh, if uh, my French is, uh, my English is not that good. No, to be honest, your, hey, your English is far better than my French is. So it's, but I totally get what you're saying. Um, with the documentaries that you've worked on, you've pretty much already known where it's going, with the exception of Man Inside, where you were doing an experiment and you basically just, it was just you in the room. Uh, it, it seems your stories are uh, obviously are very personal to you. Your documentaries are from your experiences. This short, yes, they are, yes, mm -hmm. that you've done are based on things that happened to you. And as you said, the next project that you're working on are projects that, that are is something that happened to you. Um, do you consider ever looking at other stories that from other people's perspectives, things that didn't necessarily happen to you and work in that particular framework? Or are you a filmmaker, an artist that wants to be, as you, as you described it, telling the truth from your own perspective? I would say I'm open to any uh, opportunity and um, it could be fun or interesting to, I don't know, be, be being offered a, a script uh, to direct and I uh, certainly would uh, consider it because, because it's interesting, but still maybe I would, I would, I would try to, to look into the script, what could touch me and, and, and how I can handle that, handle it, uh, with my, you know, with uh, what I like to film and what I like to shoot and and what I like to direct, you know, something completely uh, a foreigner or stranger uh, from from me, you know, I would I wouldn't be so so comfortable with it. That makes total sense. Thank you very much. We've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM. Uh, Karim, thank you very much for coming to talk to us about your film, your short film, Branch, which is gonna be showing at the Paris International Film Festival. And I look forward to hearing more about the next project that you're gonna be working on pretty soon. Thank you, Marcus. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are speaking with uh, small filmmakers whose film is in the Paris International Film Festival, which is currently running, and it started running from the 10th of February, and it's running until the 20th of February. Uh, I will turn to one of our guests to introduce himself and his guest, and they will tell us about the film that they have in the festival. So Antonio, I'll throw it to you. Yes, hi. Uh, it's uh, great to be here with you. And uh, uh, I will do the interpretation for this uh, interview because uh, the director is uh, Kostas Enian and he prefers to reply in Greek. 
So I will uh, just uh, be here between the two of you mostly. So I will now turn in Greek. Kosta, αν μπορείς να περιγράψεις μερικά λόγια τον εαυτό σου για μια μικρή εισαγωγή. Ναι. Θα έλεγα ότι κατάγομαι από τον αεραστεχνικό κινηματογράφο και θα έλεγα ότι στον κινηματογράφο έχω τον συνάτησα μπροστά μου από δύο δρόμους. Ο ένας δρόμος ήταν της συγγραφής, της λογοτεχνίας και ο άλλος ο δρόμος ήταν της φωτογραφίας. Ε, ήμουν και παραμένω ένας ανεξάρτητος κινηματογραφιστής και ε, θα ήθελα να έχω κάνει πολύ περισσότερα πράγματα από ό,τι έχω κάνει, αλλά υπήρξαν σοβαρά εμπόδια στο δρόμο μου για να μην έχω κάνει αυτά που θα ήθελα. Οραματίζομαι και ονειρεύομαι πράγματα, αλλά δεν έχω πραγματώσει ακόμα αυτά που θα ήθελα. So uh, I would just describe uh, my um, path as a filmmaker. I came mostly, uh, I started as an amateur or independent filmmaker, and I had two paths that led me to cinema. One was uh, through literature and through writing, and the other was uh, through photography. And I had many obstacles in my life. I always wanted to do films, but I had some, some obstacles. And so I didn't really manage to do uh, the films that I wanted to. So I'm still like filled with uh, dreams and desires for future projects. But I consider to me to be, I consider myself to be an independent and amateur filmmaker. That is fantastic. And it, it, I mean, this project that you currently have at the Paris International Film Festival, Dimitris, Nikos and the Uncertainty Principle, It is a very interesting documentary. Please tell us, what is the documentary about? Let's start off with that. What is the documentary about? Η ταινία που το ντοκιμαντέρ που παρουσιάζεται μοιάζει να είναι πάρα πολύ ενδιαφέρον και θα ήθελα να σας ρωτήσω παραπάνω πληροφορίες. Γιατί ακριβώς πράγμα μιλάει το ντοκιμαντέρ σας? Θα έλεγα ότι το ντοκιμαντέρ ξεκινάει από την τύχη, από τον προβληματισμό πάνω στην ανθρώπινη τύχη που έχουμε όλοι νομίζω οι άνθρωποι, δεν είναι κάτι πρωτότυπο αυτό. Ωστόσο, ε, υπάρχουν δύο παράλληλες ιστορίες που γνωρίζω και που έχω διαβάσει και που είναι, μοιάζουν τόσο πολύ. Η μία είναι ενός ήρωα του 1821 της ελληνικής απελευθέρωσης και η άλλη είναι του παιδιού το οποίο ακολουθώ, το οποίο την ιστορία ακολουθώ. So the, the film um, has two main uh, stories, which in a way they are connected. Uh, the first is a story that dates back to the Greek uh, uh, revolution. So we're talking about uh, 1821. And the second story is the story of a child Uh, and it's that story I'm trying to follow in the film. So, the, the, as, yes, absolutely. The um, synopsis says, searching for the truth uh, to decipher the human luck mystery, the story of an abandoned child in the woods without chances of survival during the Greek civil war who grew up as a refugee in Poland. Now, It, it, because we are based in the UK, it, was this a big story um, where in, in Greece about this child that was discovered? 
Η σύνοψη της ταινίας περιγράφει ε, μία εξερεύνηση της ε, τύχης ε, με αφορμή την ιστορία αυτού του παιδιού το οποίο εγκαταλείφθηκε στο δάσος στη συνέχεια επέζησε ως ε, πολιτικός πρόσφυγας στην ε, Πολωνία και θα ήθελα να σας ρωτήσω επειδή εμείς βρισκόμαστε στο, στο Λονδίνο αυτή στιγμή, στο Ηνωμένο Βασίλειο αυτή η ιστορία ήταν, ε, ε, είναι κάτι, ένα πολύ γνωστό γεγονός στην Ελλάδα το γνωρίζει ο κόσμος Όχι, είναι ένα πολύ μικρό μια πολύ μικρή ιστορία ε, ενός παιδιού από ένα επαρχιακό χωριό σε αντίθεση με τη μεγάλη ιστορία, την σπουδαία ιστορία του ήρωα της Ελληνικής Επανάστασης, του Γιάννη Μακριγιάννη. No, actually the story it's a very minor story in Greece. It's not really known. It's a story of a single child from the countryside. While on the other hand, the story I talked about about the Greek um, uh, Revolution, it's a huge story. It's about uh, Yanis Makriyans, who's a hero of the revolution. Yeah, so it's great to have that juxtaposition of one child's story against uh, so the massive backdrop of the Greek Civil War. Um, now, again, because obviously we're in the UK, we don't know the ins and outs of this uh, Greek Civil War. It, what themes in particular um, do you feel as a filmmaker drew you to tell the story of these two different things happening and putting them together. Είναι πολύ ενδιαφέρον να βλέπουμε αυτή την συνύπαρξη μιας μικρής ιστορίας ενός παιδιού και της τεράστιας ιστορίας του εμφυλίου πολέμου της Ελλάδας. Η ερώτηση που ήθελα να σας κάνω είναι από τη στιγμή που εμείς ακριβώς δεν γνωρίζουμε τις λεπτομέρειες στο Λονδίνο για τον ελληνικό εμφύλιο, ποιες ακριβώς είναι οι θεματικές που θέλατε να εξερευνήσετε από αυτήν την σύγκριση της, του, του μεγάλου εμφυλίου πολέμου και της μιας μικρής προσωπικής ιστορίας ενός παιδιού. Ε, ας, ας πούμε ε, ότι η ιστορία της τύχης είναι ένα άλοθη για να μιλήσουμε για τον εμφύλιο πόλεμο ο οποίος έπαιξε ε, καταστροφικό πόλεμο στην Ελλάδα και αυτός ο προηγούμενος εμφύλιος πόλεμος, αλλά και ο εμφύλιος, οι εμφύλιοι πόλεμοι που ακολούθησαν την Ελληνική Επανάσταση. Επειδή είναι πολύ πρόσφατες οι εμπειρίες μας από το διχασμό που έχει υποστεί η ελληνική κοινωνία στον καιρό του, του, των μνημονίων, ε, η ένταση η οποία έχει επικρατήσει, το μίσος το οποίο έχει ξαναφουντώσει, υποθέτω ότι μπαίνει σιγά-σιγά υποέλεγχο. Ε, ήταν κάτι το οποίο με παρακίνησε, με παρακίνησε θα έλεγα, για να ασχοληθώ με το θέμα, ας πούμε, ότι η θέση του σκηνοθέτη σε αυτή την ιστορία είναι η θέση ενός ανθρώπου από τον αρχαίο χορό της Αντιγόνης. Στην Αντιγόνη, στην τραγωδία του Σοφοκλή, έχουμε την, τον αλληλοσκοτωμό δύο αδερφών και ο χορός είναι αυτός που κρατάει το, την, τη στάση της λογικής έξω από την τραγωδία. Υποθέτω ότι αυτό είναι που με παρακίνησε για να, ε, ε, για να προβληματιστώ, ας πούμε. Και η τύχη ήταν το άλλο και τα δύο τυχαία γεγονότα. So, um, the story of the film is about luck, 
uh, and human-like, but in a way that's only the excuse to discuss the destruction of the Greek civil war. And not only this uh, civil war that came after the Second World War, but a, a lot of series of civil conflicts that we had in Greece after the Greek revolution, so after uh, the, the beginning of the Greek state. And the recent years in Greece, throughout the crisis, throughout the memorandum uh, years, as we call them in Greece, this old division and this kind of hate uh, came again into the surface of the society. And the director for me, the role that I decided to, to have as a director was in a way comparable to the, to the role that the, the chorus has in uh, ancient um, Greek tragedies, and specifically in, um, in, Antigo in Antigone, By you know the story, it's about the killing of two siblings. And in that tragedy, um, the, the, the part, the role of the chorus is to represent logic among a, a general tragedy, a general destruction of the society. So this was like the starting point that made me think about luck and about the civil war. Excellent. Um, so the title of the, the documentary is Dimitris, Nikos and the Uncertainty Principle. So talk us through, for those of us, again, who don't know the, uh, the historical uh, facts behind the Greek war, who is Dimitris as a person? Who is Nikos as a person? And how do they relate to the Uncertainty Principle? Ε, θα ήθελα να, μια, να κάνω μια ερώτηση για τον τίτλο της ταινίας και συγκεκριμένα για τους ανθρώπους οι οποίοι ε, δεν γνωρίζουν τις λεπτομέρειες του ελληνικού εμφυλίου πολέμου. Ο τίτλος της ταινίας είναι ο Νίκος, ο Δημήτρης και η αρχή της απροσδιοριστίας. Οπότε θα ήθελα να σε ρωτήσω ποιος ε, είναι ο Νίκος, ποιος είναι ο Δημήτρης και πώς αυτοί οι δύο συνδέονται με την απροσδιοριστία και την αρχή της απροσδιοριστίας. Ε, ο, ο Δημήτρης... Εμφανίζ, είναι εμφανής στην ταινία. Ο Νίκος παρομοίως και εκείνο φαίνεται στην ταινία. Η, τα αποσιωπητικά ε, και δεν ξέρω πώς τα μεταφερόταν αυτό ε, ε, στα αγγλικά. Ε, τα αποσιωπητικά ε, παραπέμπουν σε ένα κλείσιμο του ματιού πάνω στο θέμα της τύχης. Η αρχή της απροσδιοριστίας του, Χα, του Χάιζεμπεργκ ε, ε, αναφέρεται στην τύχη στο μικρό κόσμο. Αν το θέλετε, ο μικρό κόσμος ε, ε, στο μυαλό μου δούλεψε κάπως παράλληλα με ένα αρχαίο, ε, μια αρχαία κινέζικη δοξασία που πιστεύει ότι οι άνθρωποι είναι ε, ε, φαντάσματα στο όνειρο ενός γίγαντα. Ε, αν το θέλετε σαν ηλεκτρόνια ε, που περιστρέφονται χωρίς κανένας να ξέρει την πορεία τους. Ε, θα μπορούσα να πω ότι με έχει προβληματίσει πολύ μήπως εν τέλει ε, αυτό που λέμε τύχη ε, η τύχη είναι η ελευθερία μας ή και το αντίθετο. Δηλαδή μπορούμε να περπατάμε σε ένα δρόμο γιατί δεν σκεφτόμαστε ότι μπορεί να πέσει μια μαρκίζα. Ε, αν κάποιος το σκεφτεί πολύ, δεν θα περπατήσει. Δηλαδή, το 
πόση ελευθερία έχουμε σχετίζεται με το πόσο ε, εσωτερική δύναμη, αν το θέλετε, πώς το λένε, έχω, έχω, ε, έχω παίξει λίγο και με τους τελεστές με τα, στη, από την εξίσωση της απροσδιοριστίας και δεν υπάρχει λόγος αυτή τη στιγμή να μπούμε σε, σε αυτού του είδους τη φυσική ε, την οποία φυσικά δεν την κατέχω γιατί δεν είμαι φυσικός Α, απλά αγαπούσα τη φυσική και πάντα με έθελγε πείτε ότι πίσω από τα αποσιοποιητικά και την ε, απροσδιοριστία ε, πείτε ότι είναι όρος τύχη αλλά είναι λίγο πιο θεαματικό το να, να αντικαταστήσεις τον όρο τύχη με την, με την αρχή της απροσδιοριστίας. So, uh, both Nikos and uh, Dimitris are characters that we see in the documentary and they have a personal relationship to uh, the Greek Civil War. But I would like to insist um, on the three dots that exist also in the title. And for me, that's, it's like it's hinting to luck, which at the same time, it's another way to describe uh, Heisenberg's um, principle of uncertainty which in a way it refers to the microcosmos and to the way that electrons and little particles um, move uh, in unexpected ways. In, and for me, I also thought the same principle perhaps in different terms through a Chinese proverb, which is, says that uh, people are uh, ghosts who uh, live inside the dream of a giant. So what I was trying to think with all these ideas on my film is that luck perhaps is related to freedom. And for example, I will give you an example. You can walk uh, on the streets and there's a chance uh, that something will fall on your head and kill you. If you think too much about that, then perhaps you will choose not to walk on, on, on that street. Uh, I also tried to play around with uh, the, the, math, the, math, the maths of uh, uh, Heisenberg's and changed a bit around the factors that he introduced, uh, but I'm not a physician, so it was um, not really something that I, I have a result upon. I just wanted to relate luck with a principle that exists in uh, physics and to think about those on the macro level of society. That's a very, that's an excellent response. And it, it kind of already ties into the next question I was going to ask, but I want to ask it just to be certain. So as a filmmaker diving into a documentary, um, you understand that obviously a documentary is your search for answers to a particular question. Uh, what were your answers in particular? What answers did you get? And in particular, what answer surprised you the most in your exploration of this documentary? Ε, πάρα πολύ ενδιαφέρουσα η απάντηση και μάλιστα συνδέεται στην ερώτηση που τώρα θα, θα σας πω. Ε, κινηματογραφιστής, ένας κινηματογραφιστής που ασχολείται με τον ντοκιμαντέρ ψάχνει απαντήσεις. Ε, ασχολείται μέσα από αυτή τη δημιουργία δικασία για να βρει κάποιε απαντήσεις και ήθελα να σας ρωτήσω εσείς ποιες, ε, με ποιες απαντήσεις καταλήξατε στο τέλος της ταινίας και ποιες από αυτές σας ξάφνιασαν περισσότερο στο προσωπικό επίπεδο. Ε, δεν έχω καταλήξει σε απάντηση. Δεν έχω καταλήξει σε απάντηση και αυτό φαίνεται ε, γιατί η, η ταινία θα σας έλεγα ότι άρχισε να γυρίζεται το 2017. 
ε, και θα ήταν ένα ντοκιμαντέρ το οποίο θα ακολουθούσε μια πορεία ενός παιδιού το οποίο εγκαταλείφθηκε στο δάσος. Ξέραμε την ιστορία, ξέραμε, είχαμε διαβάσει στο βιβλίο μια μικρή ιστορία που είχε αρχή, μέση και τέλος. Ωστόσο, εκείνοι οι οποίοι εγκατέλειψαν το παιδί στο δάσος, η οικογένεια και ο μοναδικός μάρτυρας που είχα στη διάθεσή μου αρνήθηκε ότι συνέβη έτσι. Αρνήθηκε ότι συνέβη έτσι. Και εφόσον αρνήθηκε ότι συνέβη έτσι, η ιστορία πλέον έμενε μετέωρη. Σκέφτηκα να τη σταματήσω την ταινία. Μεσολάβησαν περίπου δύο χρόνια, δύο χρόνια απραξίας. Ή μάλλον άρχισα να αλλάζω θέμα. Αυτό το πράγμα φαίνεται και μέσα στο ντοκιμαντέρ. Φαίνεται. Λοιπόν, άρχισα να αλλάζω θέμα και να ασχολούμαι με γεγονότα τα οποία δείχνουν ότι στον εμφύλιο πόλεμο υπήρξαν επεισόδια όπου, επεισόδια όπου ο αντίπαλος έδειξε έλεος στον αντίπαλο και βέβαια άλλα πολλά τυχαία γεγονότα και έχω κάνει και άλλα γυρίσματα τα οποία έχουν μείνει έξω από την ταινία. Κάποια στιγμή σκέφτηκα ότι και έτσι η ταινία ήταν ένα ψάξιμο μια έρευνα για την αλήθεια. Ένα άλλο μεγάλο θέμα. Και εννοείται, φαίνεται, όποιος δει την ταινία θα καταλάβει ότι δεν έχουμε βρει. Δεν έχουμε βρει ποιο είναι το παιδί, αν πραγματικά βρήκαμε το παιδί το οποίο εγκαταλείφθηκε στο δάσος. Και επίσης, ε, καταλήγει κάπου αλλού η ταινία, πράγμα το οποίο το, το λέω ο ίδιος, στη συνάντηση με τον συνεργάτη μου, στη συζήτηση με τον συνεργάτη μου, ότι εν τέλει το πρώτο πράγμα, ο πρώτος νεκρός όλων των πολέμων είναι η αλήθεια. Ο πρώτος πρώτος νεκρός. It's very interesting your question because I feel that I'm left without answers. Um, let me just retrace uh, the project from its start in 2017 because everything started with a very straightforward story. You had the story of a child who was abandoned um, in, in the forest and then survived. And we read the story in a book. And this, this story had a beginning, um, a, a middle part and an ending. While we're showing the documentary, however, we realized that the people who were supposed to be the main actors of this event denied uh, the story, denied the fact that this, was hap that this happened. So we couldn't identify neither the child or to, to, to be actually sure that the story is true. And that brought um, a huge ch change in, in, in the project because it stopped for two years uh, or in a way it changed direction. And I am including all of this in the documentary. You can see, I, I have a narrative where I'm explaining that I will now change uh, the path of the documentary away from this child and towards gathering some events about chance and random events during the civil war that include also the mercy of the opponent. So I gathered uh, a lot of these events. Uh, some of them are in the documentary, and some of them I did not include. The, I did not include in the final version. But at the end of the film, we still don't know which, uh, what is the truth of that story, 
and who was the child. We never get to discover uh, who, uh, what happened to the child, if the child existed. So in a way, and that's how I'm ending the documentary, the whole thing is a research for truth. And truth is the first victim of war. And that's the last uh, part of the, of the movie. That is very excellent. It's very poignant to hear that being said. This movie, the documentary, uh, Dimitrios, Nikos, and the Uncertainty Principle is currently playing at the Paris International Film Festival, which is currently running from the 10th of February, is running all the way to the 20th of February. Uh, we want to wish you, uh, Costas and Anian, uh, the all the ma all all manner of um, of luck in the uh, obviously for the uncertainty principle for the documentary to be successful in that festival as well as in all festival runs. Thank you very much for joining us on our show today. Θα ήθελα να σας ευχαριστήσω που ήμασταν μαζί για αυτή τη συζήτηση. Θα σας ευχηθώ να πάει πολύ καλά το δοκιμαντέρ σας στο Διεθνές Φεστιβάλ Κινηματογράφου του Παρισιού και σε όλα τα μελλοντικά φεστιβάλ στα οποία θα προγραμματιστεί η ταινία σας. Σας ευχαριστώ πάρα πολύ. Thank you, thank you very much. Σας ευχαριστώ. And, and there you have it, some of the filmmakers whose films are going to be running in the Paris International Film Festival, which is going from the 10th to the 20th of February 2022. Uh, hosted and uh, directed by, the film festival is directed by our good friend Jenna Suru. Give her all the love. Go check out the film festival. Check out all the wonderful films that are going to be there and see all the emerging filmmakers who will most likely become household names in the next few years. I uh, want to say thank you all very much for having sat down and listened to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank Resonance FM for giving us the opportunity to keep on doing this show over and over again. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. Dan, thank you very much for listening. Speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.